0: Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. Today, before we talk about relationships, I have two quick announcements. Uh, So last week, we actually announced that we were going to host what was called Starting Point Lunch today. And so we essentially gave everybody one week to decide, do I want to check this out? And we realized that that was a terrible idea. And so after talking it through this week, we have decided to change the date for our next Starting Point Lunch to November 11th. And so our goal is to give everyone a few more weeks to sign up uh, so that they can learn more about Collective. So if you are new here, or you've been coming for a while and you have some questions, or maybe you're just ready to kind of take that next step and you don't necessarily wanna do it on a car, but you wanna come talk to somebody, this is a great place to be for that. And so we'll be at Flippin' Pizza from 12 to 1.30. The food is free, the parking is free, and honestly, you should be there. If you've never been, it's a really good way just to hear a little bit more about us. And what's really cool for us is we've been able to do this for a whole year we've been able to look back at these starting points and see the people that showed up to those as the people that now you see in the lobby and and see back in kids and and up here. And so if you're kind of looking for that, that's a great place to do that. It's completely free. You can sign up on the iPads in the lobby after service, or if you find it like a connection card hanging around, write your name on it, write starting point on it, you can drop it off with a first-time guest card on the way out, and our team will follow up with you this week. The second thing is this. So last week, we officially added a 9 a.m. service to Collective. And we did this because we realized that we we're actually running out of space at the 1030 service. And so researchers have found with church, when church is 80% full, people think it's 100% full. And so for us, if you've been to this, this 1030 service, you notice like in the parking lot, you're like, this is 100% full. And it was actually 120% full because we were pushing people out toward the baseball field. Or if you have kids and you drop them off back in the two-year-old classroom, you realize pretty quickly there's a lot of kids back here. And so what we did is we started a 9 a.m. service so that we can create more space for, for people to be a part of this church and experience the grace and truth of Jesus. And so last week, the result was incredible. Um, we had 283 people here, um, which is nuts. Uh, that's a, you can clap for that. That's good. So that's actually the highest attended Sunday we've ever had that's not a holiday. Um, Our birthday and Easter were bigger, but we actually had more people here last week than what we had at launch when we started this church, um, which is really cool. But one thing that we are noticing at Collective is that growth is not just happening because you all crush it when it comes to inviting people. Uh, Collective is growing because a lot of people are having babies. Um, And this is exciting. Like we're one of those, I'm one of those people. my, My wife had the baby. I was a participant in... We don't even know how to discuss that. We're just moving on. Um, So one thing that we realized as as people start to have kids and and, and people check out Collective, um, what we wanted to do is create more space for for people. And so what we're doing starting this week is actually during the sermon, we are actually taking that audio and we're piping it into our lobby. And so if there's ever a time when you have a kid or even for you, you're just like, I want to step out and grab some coffee or like you're like, I don't want to be around people. You can hang out in our lobby. The whole sermon will be in there. And, And to be honest, this is mostly biased for me because uh, I know our daughter is one month old and she goes nuts just like that. And so I don't want my wife to feel weird like in the back like trying to take care of kids. Actually during first service she started to cry a little bit. Um, and so, you know, if you have kids or, or even if you just personally are like, I don't want to sit here anymore. I just want to be away from people. That's okay. But we wanted to create that space for you in the lobby as well. And so the sermon will be out there. You can head out there. You don't have to miss uh, anything. And our goal with that is just to continue to create space for people to experience how good God is. And so we recognize that we create the space here and we, and we do it back in Kids, but we know that our lobby is a place where some of you feel more comfortable or more safe or even, you know, just want to take a step back. And so we're in a really uh, exciting season right now for, for us as a church. Uh, and just to be honest, uh, I can confidently say that the best is still yet to come. Um, we're going to announce our Christmas Eve services soon. We've got a lot of really cool stuff moving forward. So thank you guys for, for helping us make this church good and, and, and exciting. So when I was in college, I had a roommate named Curtis that liked to tell people that he didn't have any friends. Now, don't feel bad for him. It's not what you think. Uh, Stop imagining him walking to class all alone while happy people move about. Stop imagining him sitting in the dark of his dorm on Friday nights while everyone else was having the time of their life. Stop imagining him eating breakfast by himself and crying into his bowl of cereal because that's not what happened. In fact, it was quite the opposite. Curtis constantly had people around him. One of our roommates had actually been his friend since middle school. He dated the same girl throughout the majority of his time there. They're now married. But whenever you talk to him about his friends, he would say, I don't have a lot of friends. I have a lot of acquaintances. And he would say this about everyone people he ate lunch with, people he had class with. He even called one of our roommates his acquaintance. We lived with the guy for three years. And I would say, you hang out with these people all the time. You eat meals with them. You share a bathroom with one of them. You've met their parents. Whether you like it or not, these are your friends. These are the relationships that you have. So relationships are all around us. Like, we are in relationships. We have working relationships, family relationships. Maybe you're married or dating. You have a relationship with God. It doesn't mean it's what you want it to be or where you think it should be or where you hope it should be, but it's still a relationship. In some senses, you have a relationship with yourself. We also have a relationship with our friends and kids and neighbors. And no matter how deep the relationship is, we are all in relationships. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. And we're in week two of a series on relationship called Bad Blood, hence Taylor Swift. And the idea of this series is this we need to have healthy and life giving relationships, we need them. We crave them. We're created to be in those types of relationships. And what we're learning is that these relationships are built from the ground up. But the problem is that most of us don't know how to actually have these types of relationships because of our family or our past experiences, or even media has shown us a shallow and twisted view and a shallow and twisted way to handle people. And so our goal in this series is to look at the Bible and learn and to learn how to build and maintain healthy relationships. Because I think that most of us would agree that the way our culture teaches us or just our own experience has taught us a way that just isn't really working. And because of that, we have this view of relationships that tend to be shallow or toxic or even non-existent. And so our hope in this series is that we try something new and we learn from a new source that maybe can give us life and maybe give us those relationships that we really long for. And relationships can be challenging and awesome and challenging and life-giving, and challenging, and complicated, and guess what? Challenging. Relationships can be the source of joy and the source of pain, sometimes within the same minute. If you have like a two or three-year-old, it's every single day that way. Relationships can be the source of great love and great fear. They can be a source of great strength, and they can suck the life out of you. They can make you feel a full range of emotions. One moment, you can feel hopeful, you can feel safe or loved or content. And the next moment, you can feel hopeless and angry and unsatisfied. Some of the greatest drama in your life comes from relationships. Some of the greatest anxiety in your life is because of a relationship. And for some of us, we've lost more sleep over a relationship than just about anything else in our life so I want to say, if that's you, if you're one of those people that is struggling with relationships or really you have these relationships that you realize there's no depth to this, what's the point, why am I in this? This goal and our goal in this series is to bring hope. And so if you're looking at your friendships or your marriage or even your acquaintanceships and you're not sure what the point is, you can have hope. Because with God, every day is a new beginning. You can start afresh with your relationships that you have in your life. God is in the resurrection business. We believe that God can heal dead relationships and give them life so you can have hope no matter what the dysfunction looks like, no matter how horribly you have blown it, no matter how much pain you have caused or received, no matter the wounds you still carry, God can bring life to your relationships in a way that nothing else can, in a way that everything else will leave us unsatisfied. But the thing is, you have to trust him and you have to trust what he says. In order to have these types of relationships that you long for, it doesn't happen by accident. Right? We talked about this last week. It takes intentionality. It takes work. It takes investment. It takes a foundation of trust and honesty and commitment to get it started. And today we're talking about what does it take to maintain a healthy relationship, a healthy and life-giving relationship. Because remember, you don't get relationships. You build them. And so it starts with this. In our lives, there are two circles. There's the circle of concern and the circle of control. The circle of concern consists of the things in your life that you should be concerned about. These are the things out of your control, but they still matter, right? You still are concerned for them. You still care about them. Then there are other things in your life that are in your control. And the problem with most relationships is that we want to control the things that we should only be concerned about. And this often shows up when we try to control the other person that we're in a relationship with. But the reality is we know this. We can't control them. What we should end up doing in our relationships instead of looking for control is looking at concern. Now, this doesn't mean that you walk out of people's lives because you can't control them. You stay in there. You invest, you love, you care, you have compassion, but you can't control that person. Now, some of your relationships have blown up in your life because you've tried to control what you, what you should only have concern about. Some of your marriages come to the end because one person was trying to control the other, trying to control their actions, their emotions, their reactions, what they value, how they love, how they live. And the result of relationships where control is at the center of it is dysfunction. And what this does is this leads to toxicity and this leads to pain and brokenness that a lot of us are experiencing right now. What it comes down to is we try to control the things that we should only be concerned with. Now, if you're in a dating relationship or a marriage right now, can I give you some advice? You can't say no. I have a microphone. Sorry. It's rhetorical. So I'm going to give you some advice. If your significant other isn't that way now, you can't make them that way later. You just can't. And what you need to do is you need to stop trying to control what you should only be concerned about. For everybody, if if they are not a good friend now, you can't make them be a good friend. If they are not self-sacrificing now, you cannot make them selfless. If they are not concerned now, you cannot make them care more. What you can do is you can encourage them, You can pray for them. You can actually show them what a good friend looks like, but you can't control them. And so, for some of us, we have to realize that we have to stop trying to control what we can't control. What ends up happening is we try to control other people in our relationships, and they begin to fracture or splinter. And what we do is we push away. And some of us, we're the ones pushing. And for some of us, it's the other people in the relationship. But what we do is we separate ourselves, we push away. And this doesn't mean we shouldn't be concerned, and this is not our ticket to stop caring for someone. It's actually the opposite. This is when we step up. This is when we show concern. What we should do is we should love people. We should not give up on them. We should help pick them back up when they fall. And we do this because we care about them and we genuinely want what's best for them. But you can't control them. The more you learn uh, what is yours to control and what is yours to be concerned about, the less frustration you will have in your relationships, the less pain you'll experience in your relationships the more that you will thrive in your relationships. Because God intended for us to have healthy and life-giving relationships. He didn't design us to be miserable when it comes to being in relationship and friendships and acquaintanceships with other people. But in order for us to have those types of relationships, we have to realize what we are able to control. So what can we control? Like, what is ours to control? And it's really simple. I control myself. So I control myself and you control yourself. I can't control you. To be honest, I probably would if I could. I would delete that post before you made it. I'd stop you from going out with that girl even before you texted her. I'd remove you from that group of friends before it became toxic. I wish I could do that for every single one of you. I truly do. In fact, I talk to a counselor regularly. and He reminds me all the time that those are things that I cannot control. And even though I can see destructive behavior and I see you walking down a path that will only lead to pain, I can see how your past experiences are impacting how you respond to people right now. I can't make you stop. The only thing that I can do is be concerned and try to point you in the right direction. So if only you can control you, the question you have to wrestle with is, what do people get when they are in a relationship with you? What do people get? When people who are in a relationship with you, whether it's dating or friendship or work, what do they get? What do people get when they get you? Because only you can control you. So when you walk into your office, what do people get? When you turn down the aisle at a grocery store, what do people get? When, you, when, you're, when, you, when your wife wakes up every morning, what does she get? When you walk into a homeroom, when you walk into your house after a long day of work and traffic that can really only be attributed to Satan, what do people get? Do they get negativity? Do they get conflict? Do they get indifference? What do people get when they get you? Do they get encouragement? Do they get life? Do they get hope? What do they get? Now, some of you are already getting defensive about that question because you're thinking it's not fair because I don't know the people that you live with, and I don't know what your work is like, and I don't know how your family functions, and you're right, but what I do know is that you control you. So what do people get when they get you? Another way to ask this question is this. What is it like to be on the other side of me? If you were to ask people in your life that you trusted that would give an honest answer to this question, what would they say? Would they say things that you would be proud of? Would they say things that you were ashamed of because you know deep down inside how you were falling short in your relationships? Would they say things that completely shocked you? What is it like to be on the other side of me. When we ask these questions or we wrestle with the thought of what do people get when they get you, I think the answer should always be the same thing. I think the answer should always be life. As people, we should want to bring life into every single one of our relationships. I know personally that's what I want. when I like That's my hope and my dream when I interact with people. And I'm not saying it's always the case. To be honest right now, it's probably 50-50. Like, that's just my life right now. But that's what I want. I want people to walk away from an interaction with me and I want it to be like a deep breath right you want people to walk away and right we want to be life giving we want to be a breath of fresh air i want them to feel encouraged that's what i want you to feel here on sunday mornings i will challenge you i will push you i might say things that make you uncomfortable to be honest i will say things that make you feel uncomfortable But my hope is that you have life. I want you to leave thinking, I feel encouraged, I feel better. That's how we want every single person to feel when they leave collective. Whether it's people who serve here or go here, people who drop off kids or you just interact in the lobby, we want you to feel that life. And so how do we become life-giving? How do I become a life-giving person so that I make sure that my relationships are where they need to be? And the first thing is this. I can be life-giving in the love that I show. Check out what Jesus says in Mark 12. So in this story, someone actually asks Jesus, what's the most important commandment? They say, okay, of all the commandments, which one matters the most? And what they're doing is actually referencing the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, there are over 600 different commandments that the Jewish people tried to follow and and they couldn't really do it. And they were kind of set up to to not really be successful at it because they're people and we all kind of mess up and screw up anyways. And so this guy says, okay, of all of them, which one is the most important? And this is what Jesus says in Mark 12. He says, The most important one, answered Jesus, is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this Love your neighbor as yourself. And he finishes by saying, There is no greater commandment, there's no commandment greater than these. So I can be life giving in the love that I show. And so when people interact with me, do they experience love? Now, we all have different backgrounds, and we might have a different understanding of love, but the best interpreter of the Bible is the Bible. So we're going to look there for the definition. The Bible actually teaches us what love looks like in 1 Corinthians 13. This is a chapter that's called the love chapter. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard a lot of these things before, but they're not just about marriage. Paul actually writes this to a church of people saying, hey, this is actually how you should be all the time to all people. You know, through time, we've kind of like turned it into a marriage thing, but really it's like, this is who we should be. And so 1 Corinthians 13, he writes that love is patient. So am I patient with people? Am I patient with my kids? Love is kind. Am I kind and gentle in the way that I interact with people? Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. I can tell you right now that I don't do this well. This means that when you go into work, you don't bring out ammo based on something that happened last month. This means I don't continue to hold my friend hostage because of a mistake they made a year ago or 10 years ago because love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't let the baggage of the past continue to hurt the present relationships that you have. Love doesn't find fault. It's not fault-looking. Love doesn't walk in and go, I'm just waiting for you to screw up so I can point it out. Love isn't waiting for you to blow it so it can shove it back in your face. Love doesn't do that. So do I show love in the relationships around me? And do you know what's so twisted about us as people? And it seems like the people that we are closest to are the ones that we hurt the most. It's almost as if we think that because they're close to us, we kind of get a pass on loving them. But we don't get a pass on who God calls us to be. Jesus calls us to love others in the same way that we love ourselves. There are no loopholes. A lot of us think that I love them because I don't hate them. Because we think that, that hate is the opposite of love. But it's not. The opposite of love is indifference. So when I'm indifferent to you, then I don't love you. You don't hate your boss, but you don't go out of your way to be patient and kind and not keep a record of wrong. When you are indifferent, you are not loving. When you are indifferent toward your spouse, you're not loving. When you're indifferent toward your friends or your kids or neighbors or toward the people around you. When you see the need or see a need that you could meet and choose not to, that's indifference. And that's not life-giving. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he gives us a second commandment that's required because we can't love others without loving God first. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and when you read this, to be honest, it would totally make more sense if he says, love your neighbors the way you love God, right? It would actually be more spiritual. It'd probably be more theological. A lot of us would probably prefer it if it was like, all right, I'm going to love other people the way I love God because I'm not really sure about that one, right? But instead he says, love others the way you love yourself. And the problem is that some of us can't love other people because we don't actually love ourselves. We don't love ourselves because we don't believe that we are lovable because we've never realized God's love for us. If you're gonna to learn to be life-giving in the way that you love, you're gonna to have to learn what God's love looks like for you, the love that he has for you. And if you're here today and you're one of those people and you're kind of struggling to feel lovable, this is what scripture says, Romans 5.8, 5, 5, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have your crap together. You don't even have to believe in God to be loved by him. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. There's no greater love than the love that Jesus Jesus gave to you when he willingly gave up his life for you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's love is never ending. God's love is vast. God's love is unconditional. God's love is permanent. It's poured out for us. It comes before we love him. It stays with us when we fall short, and it gives us life. And when we understand that love, that helps us love other people. Because when I was unlovely, he loved me. And even as I'm in moments of being unlovable, his love is never ending. And when I realize the love of God for me, then I can express love for others. And again, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you don't know the people in my life. You don't know the people I work with. You don't know how they've hurt me. You don't know the pain they've caused. You don't know how unlovable they are. And the thing is, this I'm not saying that loving people is easy. And I'm not saying that it doesn't take work. Jesus never said it would be easy. Jesus never promised that loving people as ourselves would be simple. That's not a promise. That's not in there. It's not like, love others as yourself. Also, this will be super simple. So if it's not, like, that's probably on you. In fact, Jesus actually tells us the opposite. He says, it will be messy. It will be complicated. It will bring frustration. But the example we follow is Jesus. Because when Jesus was put on a cross to be crucified, he said to God, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The very people whose hatred put Jesus on a cross were the very people who's asking God to forgive. That isn't easy, but it is life-giving. So I can be life-giving in the love that I show, and I can be life-giving in the honor I give. Romans 12:10 says this be devoted to one another in love honor one another above yourselves now honor isn't really a word that we use a lot anymore we don't really hear it it might be a word that like we're kind of familiar with but honor means to treat someone as if they are uncommon and so what that means is to dishonor someone actually means to treat them as common so how would it change the relationships in your life if you determined to show honor if you try, decided to treat people as if they were uncommon, as if they were special or unique or important. In other words, the first thought of my mind isn't going to be what's in it for me. It's going to be how can I honor somebody else? How can I show them that I believe they are uncommon? How can I make my friends feel like they're not just another person in my life? How can I speak words to my wife to show her that she means the world to me? How can I interact with my neighbors in a way that makes them feel important? How would it change your relationships if you decided that you were going to show honor to those people? That I'm going to honor my work environment. That I'm going to honor my employee or employer. I'm going to honor my teachers. I can tell you what teachers would do if we'd honor them. They would die. They would literally kill over and die if students and parents in their community treated them with honor. Like the teachers here, they wouldn't know what to do with themselves That people actually invested in them and loved them and treated them as if they were uncommon. That's one of the reasons, to be honest, guys, why we love being portable is because we have an opportunity to love this school on a regular basis. Portable is hard. People show up this morning. It was very cold. It was dark. We, weren't, we were not ready for dark. But the thing is, this opportunity that we have in this school is, is, a, is a, to build relationships and show these teachers honor. We do our best to provide school supplies and food for kids that have needs so teachers can focus on teaching. That's why twice a year we actually provide the teachers lunch because we just want them to know that we care about them and love them. Before the school year starts every single year, our team writes thank you cards and put gifts cards to Starbucks in there just to let them know that they are uncommon. And so that's what our relationship should look like. How do we honor people and show them that they are uncommon? Now, let's take it a step further. What if we showed honor in the ways we disagreed with people? So we're in a culture right now that's outraged by every little thing that happens, and then what they do is they go on Facebook and they express their outrage, right? None of you do this? Okay, good. Uh, so, but what if we decided that we were going to honor the people that we disagree with? What if we decided we were going to show honor in how we respond to people? And again, the thought is, well, they don't deserve honor. Well, that's not the point of honor. If you think it's something that's to be deserved, you misunderstand it. Honor isn't based on someone's conduct, it's based on your character. I'm going to say that again. Honor isn't based on someone's conduct, it's based on your character. So when you dishonor, it says more about your character than it does their conduct. Now, I might not like how some people operate or what they say or how they live, but I can show honor to them because it's not based on what their actions are, what they do, what they don't say. It's based on my character. And so I wanna be a person of honor and I'll bring an atmosphere of honor into every situation I go into. I'll treat you as uncommon. I'll treat you as valuable. I will not speak down to you. I'll not run you through the mud. I will honor you because it's about my character. I choose to show honor. Now, don't you think that would change the relationships that you have? And again, I know what you're thinking. You don't know the people in my life. It doesn't matter. Honor isn't about them. It's about you. It isn't about them, it's about you. And maybe, just maybe, if we began to treat people with honor, they would actually live up to the level at which we are treating them. Maybe people are living at a low level because that's what we expect from every single person that we interact with. That's how we talk to them. That's how we treat them. So how would our life and our relationships change if we showed honor? I can be life-giving in the love that I show. I can be life-giving in the honor that I give. And the third thing is this. I can be life-giving in the grace that I extend 1 Peter 4.10 says this, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. To be honest, this is why we constantly talk about joining the team here at Collective. And I'm not even kidding. If you're on the fence about joining the team and and serving here on Sunday morning as we do our very best to create space for people, this should kind of push you over the edge because God has given you a gift. Right? God has given you a gift, and he gives this to you, every single person that's here. You might not know what it is. You might not think you have one, but it's true. Like, we trust that what Scripture says is real. And so he has given you a gift, and he says, you need to use that gift to serve others. He says, that gift isn't for you. It's not for your own gain, but for God's gain. And what happens is, when you use that gift to serve others, people see God's grace in its various forms, and so when we use the gifts God has given us to serve others, we are life-giving in the grace that we show. Again, you don't know the people in my life. Seriously, we all get it. Like, you have people in your life that aren't great. And I know there are people in your life that, that are tough to deal with. And there are people in your life that you just don't want to be around. And there are people in your life that hurt you. And there are people in life that bring you down. And there are people in your life that are extra grace required, right? Have, have you heard this phrase before? The EGR, right? We, pastors have codes. We say, oh, that's an EGR. And so ultimately, there are people in your life that are extra grace required. Required. Every single one of us has those people. To be honest, if you're like I don't have those people, it might be you, <laughs> right? I know. I'm like, my life's great. Like then it's me. But the thing is, in the life of Jesus, that's who we are. That's who we are. We are extra grace required. In the life of Jesus, that's that's the life that we live. We're an e, we're an EGR. But grace is given to each one of us, and that grace is what saves us. It's life giving. And so maybe we'd be more life-giving in all the relationships that we had if we decided to extend grace. To extend the same grace that Jesus offered to me and everyone around me. Man, I know they don't deserve it, but I didn't either. I know they didn't earn it, but I didn't either. I know that they're not always to deal with. Well, let's be honest. I'm not always easy to deal with either. Philip Yancey said this, grace is the church's greatest distinctive It's the one thing the world cannot duplicate and the one thing it craves above all else. For only grace can bring hope and transformation to a jaded world. And so if you want to have those relationships and if you want to have this world be less jaded, grace is the only option. It's the only answer because it's the one thing the church has that no one else does. And so what if we were were life-giving in the grace that we showed And the bottom line is this if you want to have healthy and life giving relationships, if you want to maintain them, if you're currently in them and you're trying to figure out how do I move these relationships forward, the best way to do that and the best way to have those relationships is to imitate Jesus. Jesus is life giving in the love that he shows, Jesus is life giving in the honor that he gives, Jesus is life giving in the grace that he extends. Jesus doesn't just say that he loves us, he gives up his own life. He showed the ultimate act of love when he died on a cross to pay the debt that our sin creates. He does that so that if we choose to accept him as our leader, as our savior, as someone who came to rescue us, then we can spend eternity with him. We can receive life. And Jesus shows us honor. He treats us as if we are uncommon. He treats us as if we are unique and special and worthy. And this is definitely not based on our own conduct because we certainly don't deserve it. It's based on his character. And Jesus extends grace to us. And grace means there's nothing I can do to make God love me more, and there's nothing that I can do to make God love me less. And he doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us something better. He gives us a relationship with him. So for those of you who aren't quite sure about Jesus yet, that's what a relationship with Jesus looks like. And maybe your past and your past experience or your child or whatever it may, books you've read, whatever it may be, has said something different. But that's what a relationship with Jesus is like. It's love and it's honor and it's grace and there's nothing better. And so for us, we have this option. We can look at culture or we can use our past experiences or we can look at what we saw in our parents or our family or people that raised us. Or we can look at Jesus. And we can invest in our relationships and we can pour love into our relationships and we can pour honor into our relationships and we can extend grace into our relationships. That's who we're called to be. That's how we're supposed to live. And that's how we give life. By taking the life that's been given to us and then showing it to other people. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that... um, God, that you extend uh, love and, and honor and grace to us because God, ultimately, we, we don't deserve it. Um, and God, for some reason, you, you, you create this experience and this relationship with us that, that we can't do anything to earn it and at the baseline before we ever trust you or believe in you or even think that you are real, you extend all three things to us. God, that, that no matter where we are, there is love and there is honor and there is grace. And God, I just pray as people that, that we can show that in the relationships that we have. God, we, we, it's not easy, and a lot of us uh, don't really want to do it. But, God, ultimately, uh, I just pray that, that this room and, and this church this week can be a group of people that show love and honor and grace to every single person that we interact with. And God, ultimately, that you give us opportunities this week to show that. God, thank you for the ways that you love us and care for us, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.